Hello and welcome to the Dr. Lisa Clow podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Clow, and today we are talking with Steve. Hey, Steve. Hey, Lisa. Where are we starting on your journey? Uh, well, we can start at the beginning if you like. Uh, that's usually a pretty good place, and it's interesting, I think, how it all came together. Sounds good. So, for us, I should back up a little bit. Um, we both just turned 61, um, but when we first met, like on date one or two, you know, back in 1995, um, when you're asking your 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 person you're dating, you know, what you want to be when you grow up kind of questions. And uh, we both discovered that we had this common, very rough idea of sometime, somewhere in the future, having a hostel or a bed and breakfast somewhere in the tropics, maybe, and having travelers just coming through and staying with us and friends and that kind of stuff. And it was just a loose idea. But as we got married and lived together and we've traveled all over the world, including living in Asia for a while, and uh, we, we've always kind of just kindled that idea about sometime, somewhere in the future doing this. And Lisa, my wife, uh, kept a hard drive full of photos that we would take in different places if we'd be in Indonesia or Cambodia or Mexico or wherever, we'd take photos, oh, this is really cool, look how they did this, we should, we should include that in our place, wherever our place is someday in the future, we don't know, but she had like a hard drive of photos and ideas, so it was just always out there somewhere. So jump ahead to 2013, and uh, we have have some friends who were are uh, in the same let's say socioeconomic class as us, same age loosely, and they went to Costa Rica and ended up buying some property on a lake down there. And they came back and they said, "Hey, you guys should you guys should buy on this lake and come join us. We could be neighbors." And uh, well, Lisa and I looked at it, and it definitely looks cool. But if you've ever been to Costa Rica, they have a euphemism called a cloud forest, which is great for marketing, but that means there's no sun. When I'm going to be in the water, we're big water skiers and, and hydrofoilers and wake surfers and swimmers, and we like being in the water, so I like bath water, warm water. I just don't like cold water. So for me to live on a lake that has, you know, 68-degree water year-round, no, no thanks. That just isn't what I wanted. But what that did, though, is it set the spark going forward because at that point we were in our, you know, early 50s, and it was like, well, all right, when when are we going to do this? We've been talking about it now for 20 years. Do we wait till we're in our, okay, we're in our 50s. Do we wait till we're in our 60s? Do we wait till we're in our 70s? You know, when do you actually start this thing if you're going to do this thing? Right. So I'm a spreadsheet dude. I started crunching numbers, looking at our savings, potential, maybe Social Security when that kicks in, you know, a variety of things. Um, I looked at, we were living in Northern Virginia at the time in one of the most expensive zip codes in, in the United States. And, you know, we had, you know, we had, you know, we were not lavish livers by any means, but we had a nice townhouse. We had a lake place. We had two, you know, rather expensive vehicles as you do, um, boats, all that kind of stuff. Plus, plus taxes and insurance on all that stuff. And part of my spreadsheet was eliminating all of that. And coming down to a developing country where the costs are way lower, you pay cash for something, and then you also aren't paying for heating, maybe a little air conditioning, and your total cost to living comes way down once you get rid of all of that stuff. You know, so much of our dual income up there, dual income, no kids, we were true dink, <laughs> if you know that acronym. Yeah. And... Um, so much of what we were doing to work was just to pay the taxes and insurance and all the new gadgets and clothes and eating out and doing all that kind of stuff that just sucks up all your money. 
So eliminating all that, coming down here, I had I, I had this aha moment sitting at my desk at work where it's like, holy crap, I could quit today if we did all that and we moved to some place where the cost of living was way lower. And once you have that sensation, it's like, oh my God, we could quit today and drive south, pick your country, and we would be fine for the rest of our lives. Then it was like, okay, great. Where? Yeah. You know, okay, if we're, we're going to do this, where do you want to do it? So, you know, it's like, well, let's just pick the coolest place on the planet that we've ever been or we ever thought it should be, and let's go there. So, we, you know, we've been all over the world. We've been, you know, Bali and Europe and South America, and I've been through all of Central America. And, well, we've been a lot of places. Um some of my favorites, you know, obviously Guatemala and Nicaragua come to the top. Mexico's always been popular. And, but we looked at, you know, we looked at places like Bali and Thailand and, and even Chile and places just like, okay, where are we going to do this? And I looked at lakes. Because here's the other thing. We want to be on a lake. We didn't want to be on the ocean for a number of reasons. We're lake people. Um, we really like the fresh water. I like not having sand and salt in absolutely everything. Uh, we didn't want to be on an island because that's a whole nother layer of hassle and headache trying to get to and from islands and everything's super expensive on an island. Um, so we said, no, we want to be on a mainland somewhere. We want to be on a lake. And our only other requirement was that it had to be a warm, clean, clear lake, you know. And so that set the bar pretty high. And the other thing that we quickly decided on is it needs to be close to the U.S. You know, we've, we lived in Hong Kong for five years, and everybody says they're going to come visit you, but they don't. And if they do, it's once, because it's a big flight. All right. And uh, the hassle and the cost of getting there. So it's like, all right, let's just eliminate, let's eliminate South America, because that's a long flight. Let's eliminate Asia. That's a long flight. Let's, let's pick some place that's close. And so we started looking in earnest at, you know, Guatemala and uh, Guatemala and Nicaragua and Mexico. And even quickly, there was just no lakes that we could find that I liked, at least doing research. Because here's the thing that you may not know geographically is that so much of Central America and even Mexico is at high elevation. It's all mountainous. Hmm. You know, you have your coasts. And then it rises up pretty quickly into 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 mountain ranges that are formed from the uh, from the you know the plates and the volcanic activity that that you know per, you know that, that that cover this whole area down here. Mm-hmm. And so the so any lakes you find are generally reservoirs at high altitude, so they're cold. Um, they're not sunny, and if they're at the coast, then they're either brackish. Or they've got a lot of farm runoff, hmm. you know, or that, or they're super crowded and super populated. So we didn't want any of those things. So we quickly decided Mexico was the place because we also wanted to be able to drive home. We both have parents in their 80s. If we need to go home to spend an extended period of time, it's a two or three, four day drive, easy to get back. Uh, we also are big skiers, so we can get to the Rockies in a couple of days' drive. And we just said, you know what? Let's pick Mexico. So I started in earnest. We got to that point pretty quickly when you when you had your list of what do you want and what kind of life do you want and do you want friends to visit. You can winnow your decision down pretty quickly in that regard. So for Mexico is for us. We love we love Mexico. We love the food. We love the people. The the, the country's amazing. So we just started looking, and I basically I'm not kidding. I went I spent so much time just on Google Maps satellite view just scanning scanning for little bodies of water all over mexico and then drilling in and researching drilling in and researching drilling in and trying to find stuff and again you'd be amazed if you aren't aware that most of mexico is above six thousand feet and a lot of it's above nine thousand feet you know many of the highest mountains in north america are in mexico Outside of Alaska and uh, Denali and Alaska and Mount Hood in um, 
Washington and a few of the 14ers in Colorado. The mountains, the volcanoes, the volcanoes in Mexico are huge. So mountaineering is a big thing down here that you wouldn't even know about. Right. But aside from that, I digress, but (laughs) that put me in a pickle because, again, either you're at high elevation, which means it's cold water, or you're down at the coast again and you're dealing with sand and ocean and potential hurricane threats and or or lots of crowds there are some big big beautiful ski lakes not far from mexico city but they're super crowded and super expensive again two things we weren't seeking so i just kept digging and digging and it took me about three months and i finally found this little strip of water way down here in southern quintana row about about uh 20 minutes 25 minute drive north of belize and um, I said, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and I started digging around, and there's like, there's almost no information. And this was 2013, almost no information. So, I, but what I found looked super promising. And so I sent this, I sent some photos and some info to Lisa, and I said, Lisa, I think I found our lake. Yeah. And she was, she was real excited, and um, it, it seemed on paper to line up with all of the things we were looking for. So we said, all right, we need to go there ASAP and decide if it's, if it is what we think it is. Uh, and then we can move toward that or at least consider it in, in our lineup or eliminate it right off the bat. So we don't spend any additional time thinking about it. So we, that was in November. And so we planned a trip mid end of January, 2014 to come down here. And then Interestingly, from there, things started lining up beyond beyond what is bizarre, starting with, we always do a big road trip to the Rockies. We drive from Virginia straight to Colorado, 25 hours, just gas and go the whole way, and then we chase blizzards living out of the Suburban, and... Um, on that one of that trip in 2013, we were on a chairlift and steamboat going up the chair, and this couple next to us is speaking Spanish. And so they paused, and I introduced ourselves and said, hey, where are you from? And they said, Mexico. And we said, oh, we're going to Mexico in a couple weeks. And they said, where? And we said, we're going to this little lake called Bacalar. And she goes, oh, my God, Bacalar. How do you know Bacalar? That's our favorite place. Wow. And so from there, it's like, oh, my God, how do we know all these people? And so the chairlift ride ended, and they were going one way, we were going the other. And we said, okay, we have to meet you guys. Uh, we have to meet you guys after. Let us buy you pizza and beer or whatever you want. You know, we, we, and they said, sure, sure, sure. So we met them after the ski day, and we had pizza and some beers and schnapps and had a really great <laughs> chat with them. And they said, yeah, oh, well, this, they love this lake. They live in Mexico City, but they visit there all the time. And they said, oh, you need to meet our friends, Gabrielle and Monica, who live in Bacalar, and they have a ski boat. And he's an old wakeboarder, and he'll hook you up with all this stuff. So fast forward two weeks, we came down to Mexico. We drove down to Bacalar, and the very first night we were here, we met Gabrielle uh, for pizza again at a little place in town. And here we are seven years later, and he's still one of our he and his wife are still one of our best friends down here. So it's just, it, things all started lining up at that point, including the next day. We, I had called in advance and lined up a, a guy to show us some properties around here just so we could kind of start getting an idea of what's here, where on the lake things are, what are costs, and that kind of stuff. So we had a day lined up, a couple of days lined up with this dude to show us some places. And he said, okay, meet me at Hotel Alusha's. And uh, we'll have breakfast, and then we'll go out. And I said, all right. So that morning, we, we find Hotel Aleutius, and we get, out to, we get out there, and it's right on the lake. And Lisa walks out the back of the restaurant, and she goes, oh, my gosh. And I said, what? And she opens her laptop, and one of the photos that uh, she had been saved from like a year or two before, just random photo off the Internet. Mm-hmm random photo was of swings in the water at this restaurant in Bacalar. Wow. How bizarre is that? Not not just in Bacalar, <laughs> but at this very restaurant. 
So let me stop you there for a sec because this is getting really good. And I want for the listening audience, um, when you talked about like you guys had kind of your vision board on the computer where you were collecting ideas. And so, you know, when you went through the process and you've been all over the world and, you know, you had this idea of, of this certain type of lake and you were, you know, you were doing all your due diligence, all your research. What was happening with, let's say, your mental health and your, your physical health? Were there changes? Because I can hear the joy just building and the excitement building in your voice when you're talking about this. But did you feel like changes in your well-being as you guys were like zeroing in on this place? Uh, you know, I don't talk in those terms, Uh, you know, it's not, it's not a world I live in, but I would lie if I didn't say that excitement is contagious, excitement, excitement buoys you, um, you know, I had a good job, but I was really tired of my job, I was going to the office every day, doing the same thing year after year. I mean, if you lined up what I did, it was a really good job and it paid me fairly well. But I was dying a slow cancerous death yeah. going into the office day. Yeah. And this, once once you know that you can walk away any minute, the drudgery changes. It's like you got a little extra step and this is going to be a <laughs> short time. I didn't tell anybody at the office for the longest time because I didn't want to sneak out that we were leaving. You know, yeah. because I also had to, I also had to wait. We get paid our bonuses in May, and if you leave before you get paid your bonus, you leave it. Ooh. And so I had to, I couldn't do anything until mid-May of the following year. So it took us, it took us a year. So jumping ahead, I'll, I'll get to the rest of the story here. But I had to wait. So, but back to your question, yeah, you know, no doubt, you know. Anytime you have a stash, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, you can enter it out, but if you've got your fuck you stash, which we call it in the corporate world, where, hey, if you've finally saved up enough where you don't need your job, you could walk into your boss any day and say, hey, fuck you, I'm out of here. Um, your orientation changes. Right. When you're handcuffed to your job, it's hard. You know, most of us go through life that way. That's understandable. So you, hopefully you have a good job. You've got work colleagues, but you still have to be there every day. But once you get to a point or if you can get yourself to a point where you can say, I don't need this, I can walk out, you know, any day. Uh, yeah, your life changes and certainly stress goes down because let's face it, you all have stress if you have to do stuff, if you have to make your rent, if you have to make your car payment, if you got a sick parent you got to pay for or kids in college you know that's stress even mm-hmm. if you even if you're happy and enthusiastic you're thinking about it mm-hmm. you know um, my a little background into me my entire life um, what one of the reasons I decided early on in my life that I just didn't want to have kids is I didn't want to have that stress mm-hmm. I didn't want to have that added requirement to have to go to work any every day because I know and I always knew that regardless if I had no money if I got fired or if things got so bad I had had to quit I could wait tables and I could have cash coming in the door the next day I could be eating a shift meal at the restaurant or the hotel I could I could have food and I could pay rent and I could sleep at night with zero stress. So when you have kids and do all that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to have that stress my whole life. So that was just, and I was never really one that needed kids or it was super joyed to have them. So it was an easier decision for me. But back to your question is, yeah, no doubt uh, your mental health changes when you have a goal like that. Um, something else um, in that in that regard, Lisa, is I'm a big believer that everybody needs to do a calculated free fall in life once in a while. (laughs) Do you really feel alive? 
when you push off from shore and you're not exactly sure how it's going to go. Uh, Lisa and I have a, a saying we use all the time, and it's and it's uh, you, you can't call it an adventure. You can't call it an adventure if you know how it's going to turn out. You know, you can't go down the flume at Disney World or Six Flags and call that an adventure. You know exactly how it's going to turn out. Right. But you go whitewater rafting and you're going into a class five drop and you're not really certain. Okay, now you've got some adventure because, yeah, maybe we end up right side up. Maybe we end up upside down. Maybe I'm swimming, you know. Yes. <laughs> you, you, Lisa, you know that, you know, you're dropping in on your shredder going down, <laughs> going down the upper yacht. It's a ton of fun because are we going to make this one? Right. Yeah. And I like that. I like that saying, "calculated free fall," or was that "calculated free fall"? Is that how you said it? Yeah. 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 Calculated free fall, because let's face it, uncalculated free falls are pretty risky. Yeah. You know, you don't. But a calculated free fall, where you where you assess, you've assessed, you've assessed the risk, you've looked at everything, and you say, "Yeah, I can do this." Yeah. Are there some bogeys out there that can get me? Yep. <laughs> Is it really going to work out? Mm, probably, but maybe not. And then just do it. And that's what, for me, that's when you really come alive. You know, the first, the first time I did one of these, what I call a calculated free fall. Now, nowadays people are doing this. And so it doesn't sound like that big a deal, but in the early eighties, um, when I finished college, you know, I grew up in Minnesota and, you know, Ozzie and Harriet family and everybody went to college, got married, sold insurance for 40 years, got retired and then took their two week cruise to Norway and called it good. You know, that was their life. And that's fine. Um, and nobody I knew traveled or backpacked around and there was no Internet. It was super hard to find any information or a group of people or anything. But, man, I, I wanted to go to us. Australia so badly, so badly. Ever since I was a little kid, I had little pictures of Australia taped to the wall and Nat Geo's tucked under my bed of Australian wallabies and caves and the outback and stuff. So I was determined I was going to go to Australia. So I graduated from college. I got a couple of jobs, um, not real jobs, but like sales jobs, knocking on doors, selling HBO back when there wasn't even cable TV. It was just HBO beamed by microwave from the top of the IDS tower in Minneapolis. And uh, it was a hard job, and it was zero or 20 below. I'm out there knocking on doors in the dark. and But I paid my way, and I saved up enough money to, uh, to go to Australia. And again, I had no plan, so this is where... This is where the free fall goes, and and my, and my parents weren't super excited about it at the time because I said, "Hey, Dad, take me out to the highway." Uh, why? Because I'm hitchhiking to Los Angeles to get a flight to New Zealand. Really? <laughs> All right. So they did, and he dropped me off on the highway, and off I went. And I, God, I just learned to love hitchhiking. Like it was so liberating you never knew exactly where you're going to be hanging up at night who you're going to be riding with was it a car was it a family was it a truck it was freaking awesome and i got to los angeles got on my flight to new zealand and i hitchhiked around there for a couple of three weeks and then down to australia for six months and i hitchhiked just covered the country it was awesome back through fiji and then the problem was is you get hooked Right. And it's like, wow. And you meet the thing at the time, too, is you meet other travelers, especially Europeans who traveling when you get out of when you get to be in a late teen or early 20s is what Europeans do. Americans don't. We go right to college, right to job. And then and then we complain about it when we have a midlife crisis 15 years later, <laughs> you know. Whereas so I met all these Europeans who'd been traveling for six or eight years, been all over the world world and it's like oh my god this is definitely better than sitting in a cube right off the bat so anyway i i came back and i won't give you the whole story maybe that's another podcast right but i i, I ski bummed for a couple of years out in in uh utah and then i did another free fall 
I wanted to keep traveling, but I didn't have enough money because ski bumming doesn't really make money. I, I bought an old pickup truck for a hundred bucks out of a pile of sand and got it running and started in the hauling and moving business. But I saved up about 2,500 bucks and I said, where can I go on 2,500 bucks? Well, you can't fly obviously. So I said, huh, I wonder how far south I can hitchhike. So I started from Minnesota at that point and hitchhiked down all through Mexico, Central and South America. I got as far as Bolivia before I said, oh, I'm running out of money, better head back. <laughs> so I started heading north again. And I was gone nine months on 2200 bucks, you know, but I didn't know how that was going to turn out. There was war in Guatemala, war in El Salvador, war in Nicaragua, war in, you know, the war in Colombia and Ecuador and Peru and Bolivia. You know, there were civil wars everywhere in those days. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was like, wow, some of the best travels and people I met and things I saw and did was just life-changing, right. literally life-changing. But again, coming back to the whole health and lifestyle, that was a calculated freefall. I said, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. People live in those countries. They, life goes on. There are corporations. There are families. There are people getting up and taking their kids to soccer. People have campgrounds. So... It can't be war 24-7 in every part of every country. It just didn't smell like that's possible. So it turns out I was right. Um, and, yeah, could you get yourself in trouble? Of course. But you could get yourself in trouble walking into the Walmart here and, boom, you're gone. Right. You know? So, anyway, back to the calculated free fall and, and health, mental health. Yeah. I definitely think doing that is good. I think taking the calculated free fall where you're just like, okay, I'm not really sure, but I'm taking the leap. I hope my chute opens. Wow, and when it does and you float down and all this is just amazing, you come back from that a different person. Yeah. You know? So. So whenever you had your picture, you, Lisa walked out the back of the restaurant and that was the exact picture of... Um, what you had on your vision board, then was that you're like, okay, this is it. Well, yeah, it was like a big signal. It was like, holy crap, what are the chances of that? <laughs> yeah. Especially when there was so few photos of Bacalar on the internet at that time. I mean, Bacalar was really undiscovered. We got here just before that page turned to the tourism chapter down here. And, um, to, to, to have found that photo on this lake and to have been there the first day, you know, the coincidences are pretty high. Right. So anyway, that was exciting. And, and uh, fast forward a bit, we, we, um, we came down five times that year. And because after that first trip, we both looked at each other and said, yeah, this is the place. This is exactly what we're looking for. It's the climate. It's the culture. It's the lake. The lake is stunning it looks like i sent you some photos it looks like the caribbean ocean but it's fresh water you know and uh it's not ocean we're we have ocean we can get to the ocean in a one hour drive from here it's it's shorter as the crow flies but we have to go around the lake each way to get there so it takes a while so if we want to get there to go scuba diving or do a beach day we can but mostly we like the lake and stay here but to get to the story when when we decided this is the place, we came down four more times. And each time we came, Lisa booked us. We came down for a week, maybe 10 days each time. And Lisa booked us into a separate hotel every single night, all over, to, all over the town, up and down the lake. And so we could just talk to different people. We'd check in, talk. We'd check out the next morning, go somewhere else, check in, then check out. And you know, we just really wanted to take the temperature of the place. If you're going to move here, you want to know what people are thinking, what they, is there a good appetite or an attitude towards foreigners coming in? You know, just all, there's a million questions. And the more people you talk to, we figured we'd get a better sense of that. So we did that. And then we ended up buying property here later that year. And, um, and then, okay, how do we get down here? And then that story begins, you know? It's like, okay, we sell the house in Virginia, and 
Lisa doing research found out that there are three or four states in the U.S. that have really horrible laws, uh, tax laws, to immigrate from those states, emigrate from those states. And Virginia was one. And so we said, well, we need to get out of Virginia and establish residency somewhere else. And fortunately, West Virginia, as you know, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very, very close to Northern Virginia area. And so we sold our house and moved into a little tiny cabin uh, uh, really close to the Appalachian Trail just up from the Shenandoah River. But literally, it was a cabin. We could we could vacuum the entire place plugged into one outlet, you know. <laughs> and, we, and we lived there for eight months with, uh, with our dogs and three cats, and it was freaking awesome. We loved it. And that was also a good exercise because it forced us to winnow everything down into a very small amount. And it also was a good lesson at how little house you actually need. You know, do you really need a 3,000 square foot house or a 5,000 square foot house that you have to eat and cool and furnish and do all of that? No. We were living in a little seven or 800 square foot cabin and it was freaking awesome. <laughs> so anyway, we did that. And then the question, Lisa, was how do we get, we did have a bunch of stuff we were going to take. We have a wake boat and all those toys and we had kayaks and paddle boards and windsurfers and you know, just scads of stuff that we didn't want to get rid of because we're going to a lake, so we had to take all of that. So I started doing the research of how do we get all this down there? Do we hire a moving company? Do we get a container? Do I buy a truck? And I won't go into all the reasons all those things won't work, but they they don't work well for what we wanted to do. Cost or logistics were just prohibitive. And so I was scratching my head, and I, I always like to think way outside the box. Like, how, how far outside the box can I get? And I said, you know what? I bet you I can find a used school bus somewhere, and then we can empty all the seats out and use that. So a little bit of research found out, yep, that's possible. Um, I found a bus auction north of Pittsburgh, and we went up there one day, and we ended up buying a 38-foot school bus and had never driven a school bus and so after we bought this school bus there's there was there was it was so fun oh my god it was so fun there were people from all over the world buying school buses there's guys from mexico of course up there big teams of guys buying multiple buses and then they drive them all back there were people from ghana people from um islands in the caribbean there were people from all over buying american school buses and they ship them home and they become real buses there and so we bought this school bus and uh it's got a hundred little switches and alarms and all this stuff and so i grabbed one of these mexican drivers and i said hey can you, we just bought this school bus and he goes muy chido you know, that looks like a great bus i was looking at that one and I says, yeah, but I don't know how to drive it. Can you come and give me a quick little tutorial of what all the buttons are and everything? Because it's a diesel engine and air brakes and the whole thing. And he says, sure. So he jumps in and he kind of going through all the switches and explaining what they are. And he says, okay, this alarm is this. And he says, you got to let the brakes pressurize. And this alarm is the glow plug. Let that heat up. Blah, 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 blah. And then he started up and he goes, yeah, dude, this is a great bus. You're going to love it. Congratulations. So, woo, yay, we got our school bus. But we got this school bus for $6,700. That's less than a used Corolla. And yeah. it only had like 180,000 miles on it, 20 years old, which is nothing for a big diesel Cummings engine with all of that on it. And it had been garage kept. It was in perfect condition. So, woo we got our school bus. And then we had to drive it home in the dark through the mountains. back back to west virginia so again that was a bit of a free fall again you know calculated free fall it was a ton of fun and then so then we just got the school bus worked oh oh funny story i didn't know anything about working on diesel engines or anything and so i called i said who who does how can i get this done on the cheap you know i don't want to go to a diesel mechanic garage and pay top dollar to get this thing done so we lived in, you know, we were in West Virginia, and I said, oh, my God, there's going to be a technical college around here. So sure enough, I asked around, found the technical college, and called them, and I said, hey, can I speak to your diesel mechanic uh, teacher, assuming they had one? And they said, sure, that's Gary. Hold on. Gary comes on. Hey, 
this is Gary. I said, Gary, my name's Steve. I just bought a school bus. He goes, that's so cool. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> so I explained, and I said, so would your kids like to have a project to work on and use it as kind of maybe a test or something? You know, I bring it over. I need to have it all checked out, change the oil and check the filters and the air brakes and just tell me I have it, have it, have a safe bus. And he says, sure, man, bring it over. So I brought it over and I dropped it off there at the technical college. And, and, and uh, he had his kids go to town on it. And he sent me to the local auto parts store. And he says, yeah, just tell him Gary from the tech college sent you and they'll give you everything it cost and I said oh sweet so I went over there and got all the oils and filters and the parts he wanted and they went to town on the bus and checked it all out and and then uh, you know the following week or whatever I said what do I owe you and he says ah just whatever you want and I said well I don't know what that means I don't know what it you know whatever and he says yeah I mean how about 50 bucks jeez <laughs> And I said, uh, how about 250 bucks? And he goes, okay, just make the check out to the college. And I said, all right, I'll do that. So anyway, we got our bus all checked out and everything and ready to go. And then he says, what are you going to do with the seats? And I said, oh, I, I don't know. I was going to see if somebody wants them. And he says, oh, the kids want them, you know, for their deer houses or their pickup trucks <laughs> or whatever. And uh, I said, go at it. So. He had to tell the kids to wait until the weekend because they started going right during class. And uh, anyway, we came back on Saturday and the bus was just empty. Every seat was gone and we had our big old what became now a truck. So that, that worked great. And uh, that's a whole other story about how we got that converted to uh, an RV and why it had to be an RV versus a bus and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it was big free fall. You just don't know these things. And then does it run? Can we fill it? How do we get it to Mexico? You know, and so and so that was just fun figuring it all out. It's like, yeah, nobody's nobody we know done it before. There's things online, but everybody's adventure is a little different. Yeah. But we eventually loaded it with all our stuff. I sent you that little video, Lisa, that shows shows it being loaded with everything. Yeah, I'm going to put that on my website. Yeah, and then um, then we started the drive, you know, and um, everything was sold. We cashed out, given everything away. We had nothing left in the States. Everything was in their bus. So I was driving the bus with a 25-foot flatbed trailer attached to the back of that with a catamaran and a bunch of kayaks and other things on it. And Lisa drove the Suburban towing the wake boat loaded with kayaks and and all our gear and two dogs and three cats because she had AC and I didn't have AC so all the pets rode with her <laughs> and uh, off we went for Mexico and we got it took us 10 days the bus the bus flat out would do 50 miles an hour uh, which was fine it turned out because loaded with all of that stuff um, we were we were a couple thousand pounds overweight for what the bus was rated at but <laughs> I figured I wasn't the first Mexican to ever drive an overrated, overweighted vehicle. <laughs> right, right. So, so we did it, and uh, we didn't press ourselves. We only drove during daylight hours, and wow, we just had a great, great trip coming down here. Just every day was amazing, and we met so many fun people. And then, you know, going up to the mountains, I don't know if you're familiar with Mexico, but we crossed at Laredo, and you're going across flat flat desert just Clint Eastwood flat desert for an hour or more until you start seeing mountains at Monterey just rising right up out of the desert floor it's just stunning and you get to Monterey and then it literally is a straight up climb of switchbacks going into the mountains up to Saltillo and I found quickly that the bus I had to drive I had to drive by thermostat because if I you know, at 50 miles an hour going up, the thermostat would go up a notch, and then it would go up another notch. It went up three notches, all the alarms started going off again because <laughs> it was it was heating up. So I ended up finding there was a couple of pitches there that were so steep, I had to go 15 miles an hour in first gear to keep the thermostat from overheating. But it did it, chugga, 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 just straight up with all that weight. And we made it up to the up to the Altiplano and across the top of Mexico all the way and then 
once we're coming down, flash forward a week, we're coming down the other side, and we're at this place, if you want to look at a map called Orizaba, and uh, it literally, you go from like 9,000 feet down to, down to sea level practically in a very short distance. It's just, the table just falls off. And I, we pulled over at the top of the grade going downhill, and I said, Lisa, I said, put, put the car in four-wheel drive and leave it in first gear, and it'll just break itself going down the hill, so you'll be fine. And I said, I'm going to put it in first gear, and I don't know if this bus is going to, I don't know, because we've yeah. never done, again, we didn't know that we'd only driven this bus now for 10 days. Yeah. We bought it, and we fixed it up, but we hadn't really driven it much. And so now here it is on our big trip, and I don't know if, how it's going to last going down a hill that steep for that long. Are the brakes going to fail? Again, so I said, I'm going to drive. Well, don't be right behind me. I'm going to drive with the doors open on the school bus, so in case this thing really takes off, I can run and jump. Oh, so my that's gosh. literally we had that conversation. <laughs> now, let me stop you here just for a sec, because that statement right there, I was wondering, as you're, you're taking this trip and, you know, going 15 miles an hour up the hot mountain and... Did were you ever at that moment? Did you think, "What am I doing here?" Or were you just like gung ho, like we're doing this? <laughs> ah, we're doing this. It was just <laughs> electrifying. It was so much fun. It was like this. This is what I'm meant to be doing in my life. Okay. This is going to the office is not <laughs> what Steve should be doing. <laughs> Steve should be leading an adventure. You know. Yeah. And again, we didn't know. Are we going to get? You know, are we, there's so many people writing so much crap on the internet. Dude, you're going to get robbed. I had a, an aunt tell me, make sure you take a gun with you. It's like, are you <laughs> kidding? You want me to end up in prison? You know, it's yeah. like, just they just don't know. Yeah. And, and, all, and all the negative stuff is what you read every day. You don't read the billions of positive things that happen every day. And so I just, I just, in my mind, I said, no, there's more positive than negative, And it's all the negative that comes to the top. And uh, so we just trundled off, and we didn't really know, but I just believed that it was going to work out, and it did. And we had an awesome time. I mean, literally, flash forward 10 days, we pull into our destination in Bacalar, and we cracked open a couple of beers, and we're looking at each other. We did it, toasting, and I said, <laughs> I, I swear to God, Lisa, if this doesn't work out, I will turn back and drive tomorrow. That drive was so fun. I would do it again. I could just keep driving. That was great. Wow. That's so, that's that's amazing. I mean, definitely, you know, you put your, you know, time in figuring it all out. But the fact that, you know, that actual trip brought you so much joy, that just shows you you were you were heading in the right direction with your life. Yeah, I and I think so, but you know, I'm also Listen, I'm not a mystical, cosmic, spiritual person. I'm a super, I'm super scientist, and if you can't prove it with a double-blind test <laughs> and repeat that test, you know, I'm going to chalk that up to placebo effect. I don't, you know, uh, I believe in statistics, not coincidence. I don't believe in, you know, the universe is doing all these things and it's meant to be. No, you, you put it out there and you do enough good things and... It's luck, but luck comes your way if you make yourself available for luck. Yeah. Um, so that's my philosophy. And, um, oh, God, where was I? I don't remember where I was going with that. But the point I'm getting at is, yeah, we did the math. We did the, we did the, did the, the calculations, and we just said, yeah, let's do it. I think it'll work. Yeah. Not really. Again, that's the whole calculated free fall thing. But, oh, I know where I, remember where I was going with that. The whole the whole being practical. Listen, I was I was 30 years old before I had my first real job with a tie, you know, and I actually had to fill out an application form and that kind of stuff. I traveled, I did a ton of jobs. I'm not a trust fund baby, so I, I've had to pay my way. But um, I was always, I got, I, I went to grad school, got an MBA in my late 20s, and, 
and started doing some work, but I got into a bunch of jobs where I thought they were going to, you know, startups where you're going to make a bunch of money and then you don't. You hear about the people who make a ton of money on startups and they, they get rich. Well, yeah. there's way more people like me who took that risk and then it didn't work out. And so I was getting into my early 30s and I had no savings, no nothing. I owed a mountain of money on student loans and it's like, man, I got I to gotta get a, a job working for the man. I need a 401k. I need health care. I need to get paid even when I'm sick. I need a job. So I changed my focus from get rich quick to, you know, and all that kind of stuff, get selling a bunch of options and becoming an entrepreneur and all of that. Now I need to work for the man. So I did. I worked for the man. But I found some fun jobs eventually and did some really cool stuff. And meanwhile, you know, just chugging and chugging and saving and chugging and saving. Because, you know, I didn't, I knew I didn't want to work for the man forever. So my point is, is there are, there are largely two basic ways, philosophies for getting through life. One is to find something you really like doing and maybe make some money at it. But oftentimes you don't. The other thing is to get a job that's okay, that pays a lot, that gives you the money and the free time to go do what you want when you're not at the office or not doing the stuff you don't really want to be doing. So I chose the latter after failing at the former. Um, and, you know, I, it got me here. Yeah. You know, I, I worked for the man for 20 years, saved a bunch of money. I had fun along the way. Definitely I wasn't like, in a salt mine for sure and and believe me i understand there are people who don't have those freedoms in life that that's a whole nother that's a whole nother conversation a whole nother podcast about mental health and no freedoms yeah but i've always had those freedoms and i've set myself up to have additional freedoms as i mentioned earlier but um it, yeah so anyway i did i i worked and paid my way and then it's like okay now it's time to cash in those chips and go do what we really want now, I will, I will say all this, too, that I'm fortunate that my wife, Lisa, is a self-employed editor and writer, and she loves her job. And part of, the, part of the calculation for us is that she could keep working. And so she is still working. And so she, she keeps the money pump running while I'm doing other things, and I do a lot of the logistical, mechanical stuff here. Um, and she, she, but she still works every day. So that worked for us. So people who want to do this kind of thing, uh, even if they're not doing a web-based business now, there are scads more options for working remotely. There's a lot of people down here still working a full-time job or a, or a two-thirds time job for a company in the U.S. or Europe or some other place, and they're doing it remotely. Uh, we know there's a big community of people who just do house sitting around the world. You know, it's super cool if you wanted to do that. There's you, there's a website called House Sitters International and others. There's a couple of Facebook pages for house sitting in Mexico and the Caribbean. And these people go two, three, four months from place to place. They work. They live in a house. They take care of the pets. And then they go off somewhere else. You know, so... There's a bunch of really cool ways. If you want to punch out and get out of the, the drudgery or whatever and maybe go travel the U.S. or go travel outside the U.S. and do things, there's, there's different ways you can do it even if you don't have a, a, big, a big savings account. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's, uh, that's good to share with people because I don't think a lot of people know about that stuff. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. You just got to do the math, figure out what you have. You know, and I'll, and I'll say this too. There's a lot of places people, Mexico and definitely the country south of here, have always lured retirees from the U.S. because you can go so far on so little savings, and healthcare is generally awesome and nearly free. You know, one of the big reasons, and also one of the big math. The math drivers for coming down here is healthcare. You know what you have to spend, even as just my real case. This and this was this was now a number of years ago, six years ago, when we punched out and came down here. I, our our co-share pay through my corporation for our healthcare policy for t two of us with no kids was eighty four hundred dollars a month. 
plus we had a $5,000 deductible. And I know everybody there is going to be talking about the same thing, especially if you have kids, you know. Um, But we got insurance down here. We, you know, there are people who just live on the Mexican system, and I and I, I wasn't ready to do that. But there are a lot of good private hospitals and private clinics and private doctors around here that are just fabulous. Um, but you pay cash for them. Not a lot of cash, but you pay cash. And you still have the risk of having a catastrophic injury from a car accident or, or cancer or something like that. So we, we didn't want to just risk everything taking that. So we got a, what they call an, an expat health, global health insurance policy by an in, international insurer. Hmm. And um, all of the international insurers, when I was shopping for, for this, all of them had, had, had the option when you're shopping, do you want to include the U.S. or do you not? And if you tick the box for the U.S., your insurance premium was three or four times as high. That's interesting. 400% higher if you pick the U.S. So I said, well, I don't need to go to the U.S., so I'll tick no. So we can go to any, I can go to Switzerland or Germany or Singapore and get coverage and they'll pay for it. I just can't go to Sioux Falls. Huh. Go figure that out. Because mm-hmm. it's so outrageously expensive in the U.S. Right. And to do that, for the two of us, our, with a $1,000 deductible, not 5000 dropped to $2,200 a year. I think you just convinced everybody to move to uh, Mexico. <laughs> well, or anywhere. It doesn't have to be Mexico. It's, it's anywhere. But I will say that... The, in general, the healthcare in Mexico is fabulous. Everything that we've done down here, the care is just excellent. And um, I, I, I can give you a bunch of stories, but let me give you one that's that's just classic example of how how, how organized it can be and doesn't need to be. I uh, before before we came down here, I had a I had an intestinal polyp, so I had to have a colonoscopy just to check it out turns out it was fine and the doctor says well you know get another one you're over 50 get another one in a couple of years just to make sure it didn't come back so I said, all right so flash forward it's a couple two three years later and we're down here and i said oh god he told me i should have another another colonoscopy to check this out well any of you who've had a procedure like that done in the u.s knows you got to go see your primary physician then you need to go get a referral to go see your you know go see your specialist who's going to do it and then they're going to schedule this the schedule a procedure and then you need to have a follow-up and then you need to and you get bills from the from the specialist and from the the clinic and from the anesthesiologist and the anesthesiologist helper and the nurse and you get all of these bills that come in and it costs thousands of dollars even with insurance if you got a thousand or five thousand dollar copay that's all coming out of your pocket all right well down here i walk into the clinic in Chatham Mall, which is a really highly rated clinic called Clinica Carranza. Everybody uses it. And I said, hey, I walk in, get this, I walk into the receptionist desk. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm inquiring about a colonoscopy. She, the receptionist, pulls out a one-fourth page of paper that had pre-printed on it, colonoscopy, 5,000, yeah, 6,000 pesos or whatever it was, $300. And I said, that's it? She's, I said, well, how does it happen? I said, well, she says, well, you got to go see the doctor, and then he'll, he'll schedule the procedure. I said, okay, when do I see the doctor? She goes, how about in an hour? And I said, what? <laughs> All right. So I went and saw the doctor. This was like on a Tuesday, and he says, how about Friday? And I said, and I said All right. So I, I went down to the little front pharmacy, and I got that horrible solution you have to drink beforehand, and then I had my procedure. And then, you know, but I paid, I paid for the whole thing right up front. The whole thing, cash on the barrel head, paid at the receptionist desk, and it just starts. You know, I didn't get all these bills. I, I didn't even send the claim into my insurance company. I said, ah, you know, 300 bucks or 500 I don't know what it was, but it wasn't over 500 bucks. And it's done and dusted. Wow. That's the way it should be everywhere. You know, there's not a doctor on the planet who doesn't know what your colonoscopy is going to cost. Right. So ridiculous. That's an interesting story. And, you know, because this podcast is focusing on in how you've had people have had an aha moment and improved their well-being. I mean, that in itself gives you the confidence to know that if you need a doctor, you have the best at your fingertips and 
you yeah. don't have to go through all that um, paperwork, red tape, sitting around waiting, going to a bunch of different appointments yeah. before you can even get it done. Yeah, and the costs and all the bills afterwards. Yeah, if you, if you, anybody, if any of your listeners are interested, just just Google medical tourism Mexico hmm. or pick your country. Hey, you want to go to Costa Rica? You know, just Google Google medical tourism Costa Rica. There is a booming business down here of places set up to deal with gringos who want to come down. And I tell you, you we've got a friend who's coming down here later this month to get her teeth done. She's need, she needs a couple of root canals, and she's getting some Invisalign and a bunch of stuff. She can come down here for three weeks, get all her work done for, for like a third of what it costs her to do all that at home in Florida. Hmm. You know, and she gets a fun vacation out of it. Right. You know? <laughs> it's amazing. So, yeah, it, it, Latin America in particular has always been popular for that kind of thing. I mean, even when I was hitchhiking down here and going through El Salvador in 1986, I ran into a bunch of, like a whole caravan of gringos in their, in their Winnebago's who come down every winter from the U.S., and they stay in El Salvador, and they hang out at the beach together, and they got all of their medical. They get their cataract surgery. They get, yeah, they get their teeth fixed. They get all that stuff done, and they spend three or four months down in El Salvador, and they pay nothing. And then they caravan all back to Texas and South Dakota or wherever they came from. And uh, that was in 1986. So you know, that so takes snowbird. That takes snowbird to a whole new level. Yeah. Well, it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson that the world doesn't end at the U.S. border. Yeah. You know, this is one of my big gripes, Lisa. Whenever you're watching the weather or any news, you know, they show a map of the U.S. and they don't show anything above it. It's like the world doesn't exist north or south of the United States. Doesn't exist. <laughs> You could live in Texas, and they don't show you what the weather is in Monterey. Right. You know, they don't. Oh, who would want to go there? So you you grow up thinking that nothing is there. Yeah. It's this dark, mysterical, mysterious place that nobody would ever go to. It's just it's just one of the ways that we unintentionally, systematically ingrain into ourselves, don't go there. We don't know what's there, you know, because we're not familiar with it. Yeah. But so there's a whole world down here, and and, and it, it, it's easy to get across the border. Just cross. So now that you're there and you're living there, basically full time, right? You're this is your life now. What do you What do you and not, Lisa? Not, base, not basically. It's yeah. full time. Yeah, and I I said basically because I know you travel too, so you're not just staying there, but you're that's your home base, and then you do your traveling whenever you guys want right. to but what what do you what are you two doing now what are you up to down there well like i said lisa is a self-employed editor and writer so she's got clients all over uh, the world you know the u.s and europe and even asia she's got clients now she's developed she does a lot of work for development banks uh, some work for the u.n some agencies back in washington dc she still has um, some contacts with so she keeps super busy uh, doing that, I my 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 days and weeks vary depending on what's going on. Uh, this year, we bought an old an old twenty two year old house from the parents of some of our workers, and um, I've been rehabbing that and turning it into a a really cool rental property. So we're hopefully August first we'll start renting that and getting some some good passive income coming in on that. Um, I do. Um, Anybody who wants to look us up, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, and we have a web page called Bacalar Boat and Board. And um, I do wakeboarding and wake surfing and skiing and hydrofoiling and take people out, teach their kids, teach, take them out, do that kind of stuff. So those kind of things keep me busy. I help a lot, volunteer. Lisa's really active with uh well, probably the only water quality protection group down here. It's citizen led, but it's called Agua Clara, and so she's she's on uh, she's one of the uh, I guess you could say on the board of that in a way. Um, so she's active, working on those issues as well. I do a lot of dog rescue stuff down here, and that's a well, that's a never ending problem down here. That's that is one of the things you have to really steal your heart 
Yes. Uh, when you come to a third world country is oh, seeing all the needy dogs because, I mean, we're up, to, we have five in the house now. <laughs> and uh, Lisa will leave me if I take home another, but it's hard. I have a really hard time seeing these dogs on the street and I do what I can. I do what I can for the street dogs around us and where are we going, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's a Sisyphean task. You just can't, you can't, you can't, you can't fix them all. You can't help them all. You can't get them all meds. You can't get them all food. You know, I usually have, have some little bags of food or packets of food in the car and, you know, give them what I can when I see them, but. Yeah, and I've I've through through um, connecting with you on Facebook, I've I've helped the the one um, group that you uh, always permit. Says, yeah. Yes, and that is yeah. one thing that you know we can do is there's you know you you have a link to helping yeah. so people could people could give to that, and um, I really yeah. appreciate when I see that kind of stuff happening. And, uh, yeah, well, I would say if you if you can post that link, yes. and I can send it to you here afterwards. If any of your listeners want to contribute, that that charity in particular is just one young girl who's trying to do all of this work rescuing dogs by herself, and she does an amazing job. And her vet bills always stack up, even though the vets give her a you know a really great price to take care of the dogs she rescues. Yeah, but. Uh, if anybody wants to contribute, a hundred percent of what they contribute goes straight to straight to the dogs. There's zero overhead. Yeah, and so that you know, another way of thinking about like well-being is the community that you form, and it sounds like that you yep. you're all in with that, and you have a great community down there. Uh, it's true, and and you'll find that the other the other let's just say Americans because that's your podcast target, but most of the Americans come down here, find ways to get involved in the community. You know, they're, they're really good about it. There's, we have some friends who volunteer and do a lot of work for one of the orphanages. And, and they've also, some people kind of, uh, you know, kind of get involved with one of the, one of the Mayan villages, you know, that are around here a little further West, you know, and they organize care packages and school supplies for the town and, you know, if, if you want to get involved, there's like no end of ways that you can really come down here and, and contribute and really feel value in your life because you can see it immediately impact whatever it is that you're doing to work to help. So yeah. that's that's rewarding in and of itself. You know, you're not giving money to some giant charity and 20 or 50 percent of it's going to overhead. And I'm not besmirching them because we definitely need those big global charities. They do great work. But mm-hmm. Down, you, if you if you if you put in five hours of work and and a hundred bucks, man, it goes straight to the people who need it. There is zero zero interference or overhead. Hmm. Well, Steve, I think that you probably have convinced everybody that they need to just like check out their life and think about what their vision is, and if um, if they if they're interested in you know making a big change, that you really have inspired all of us I think to to you know dive deeper into what we really want in life um is there anything else you want to share before we uh wrap the podcast up well I'm a talker I could share for another couple hours (laughs) yeah and I do I want to have you on for more and uh, also Lisa I want to get Lisa on for you know her her perspective of this um so but for now like when we think about like uh, somebody who maybe is just tinkering with the idea. What do you have anything like maybe some bullet points that you can yeah. share with us? Bullet point number one: be bold. You know, plan your free fall and enjoy the process. Somebody, listen. Somebody once told me when I was first doing my first trip, that trip out to Australia, and New Zealand. They said, Steve, for every trip you plan. There's three trips. There's the trip you plan, there's the trip you take, and there's the trip you remember for the rest of your life. And in many ways, the trip you plan and the trip you remember are more amazing than the trip you took. Hmm. You know, so plan your trip, enjoy the process, get excited about it, and and don't listen to all the people telling you you can't do it. You know, 
it's dangerous. You're going to get robbed. You're going to get killed. La, 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 la. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said that, you know, and it's just not true, you know. So, yeah, it could happen, but it could happen anywhere. So, again, do your research. Do your math. I have a little process that I call my scratch and sniff. You know, it's like I read something and I think about it. And it's like, does that really pass the sniff check? Is that really going to be like that down there? I don't think so. You know, you can get yourself into a pretty dark place pretty quickly if you just read the news and all the, the negative Nellies out there on Facebook telling you all the bad stuff that can happen. Hmm. Because all the, all the people doing the good stuff aren't on Facebook telling you all the good things. They're, they're out living their life. Right. Well, so. I, yeah, that's that. I would say that is like the biggest thing um, that you could share with people is like, you know, do your calculated free fall. Yep. And enjoy it. It's fun. It's amazing. Every time I've done that in my life, it's been great. And and I'll say this too. Your calculated free fall doesn't have to be like move to another country with a school bus. There's just so many other little things you can do, but plan something fun, whether it's a big trip or or a move to a new place or some new activity you always wanted to do, rock climbing or... I don't know, skydiving or whatever, do it. Yeah. Plan the date. Okay, plan the date, September. You want to do it? Make it happen. What do you need to do to make it happen by September? And then do it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I I look forward to having you on for um, some more stories. And I think, um, you know, what you've shared with us is um, really going to help people. And no matter what what level they want to make a change. So thank you so much, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Lisa. I had fun and uh, look forward to chatting with you again sometime. Great.